Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Shop Talk Show. We have two lovely sponsors this week, Environments for Humans, which do incredible conferences. The next one coming up is called In Control Conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. We'll tell you about that later in the show. And Squarespace and their new Squarespace 6 platform is super rad. So we'll, we'll, we'll mention them again later in the show and tell you about how cool they are. But for now, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to episode 32 of the Shop Talk Show, the web's premier sound effects podcast that also talks about web development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Christopher Coyer. Hi, everybody. Is your real name Christopher? Is it, it is. It is. It is. Okay. PH with the, with the weird PH in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind it. I just am not. I don't generally go by Christopher Tiffer when I was a kid, actually. That's Tiffer. probably the first <laughs> That's pretty close. That would Dude, be like, dang. <laughs> we have with us today Estelle Weil. Hi, Estelle. Hello. Oh, we're we're old. We're old pals. We're like Silicon Valley buddies, hanging out. So let's talk. Let's. So, what is your like main URL that you send people to? Is it Standardista? Standardista.com. Yeah. Cool. So everybody go there and learn about Especially the internet. Especially if you have insomnia. <laughs> is that what is there's, that? There's, there's a, like I, I go into details on every single like property and value, and the quirks of every single value. Um, it's a good resource, but um, it's not the best read necessarily. <laughs> but there, there's some good tutorials there too. It's not, it's not like fan fiction or whatever. Yeah, it's like if you want to know how IE7 breaks on attribute selectors, like I have a paragraph on that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> So yeah, Wait, hold on, uh, Chris. Yeah, like sure. browser fan fiction. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. I got thinking about that because so I think Paul Irish tweeted he has like a did a there's like a an artist that put together a bunch of browsers that are all like dressed up in suits. Have you guys seen that thing where it's like Firefox is like literally on fire? It's like they're like little kids out in the woods and they're all yeah, dressed yeah. up. And I was like, oh, somebody should make a story about these kids and they're like. And like the, you've seen the one where the like the little IE kid is like eating glue in the corner. Oh, <laughs> I've seen that everywhere. Yeah. Uh, also, that actually would be entertaining. There's also <laughs> recently a, like somebody on Deviant Art did like the browsers as My Little Ponies or something. That's the what Irish. I was talking. That's Paul what I meant. That. that one was. Yes, they should awesome. solve crimes and stuff. That'd be cool. That's awesome. I'll look it up after the show. Uh, you so okay. So, and the, uh, I was used to work at SurveyMonkey, and I quit, um, or I left, or whatever. But uh, you are are you still there? You just still do contract work there? So we kind of worked together for a minute. Uh, I think it was four minutes actually. Um, I'm still freelancing there, yeah. And nice. uh, they're hiring. If anyone uh, is looking for a job, it's a great place to work. Indeed, Except for it. I don't want to work there. <laughs> Full time. I, I like freelancing there. It's good. Yeah, but that's what I kind of wanted to ask you about. Mostly was that that's like you're you're like a contractor by choice. Like you like that. I am a full time freelancer, and uh, the last full time job I had, I quit like two and a half years ago um, to go freelance because. Um, when you go freelance, you can kind of pick and choose your projects. You don't like a project. You can be like, eh, no, I'm not going to do that project. Um, you know, you don't like a PM. You can go like, eh, I'm not going to work here anymore. So, um, Freedom, yeah, there's, power. Tons, there's tons and tons of work out there and you can choose what you want to do. And the, the, the weird thing is the funner projects like pay better. So I like doing mobile development cause I don't have to worry about IE. Um, and so not worrying about IE actually pays better than having to worry about IE6. So it's like like awesome in all ways. That's yeah. an interesting economy. That's yeah. cool. So if you really hate IE, guys, just, just do mobile. Call yourself a mobile <laughs> guy and then you don't have to do it. Exactly. That's cool. And then you can also do things like animation and transitions without worrying. Um, you can use all the cool new features. Yeah. 
But there's some new worries, right? Like performance, and I'm sure you know all about that. I talk to a lot of people about performance because people forget that um, people on mobile devices aren't tethered and batteries get drained like there's no tomorrow and there's some features like animation um, or canvas or anytime you use uh, JavaScript in a mobile device, you're basically draining the battery. So, so it's like if you have a thing with a box shadow on it, and then you put like WebKit animation transform nine 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 nine, nine degrees and make it spin in a circle really fast. You're just asking for battery draining. Uh, yep, especially uh, if you actually give it a solid color, you're not going to drain the battery. But if you give it a translucent color, you're going to drain the battery. Really, translucent is worse. See, it's, that's- it's not that necessary to drain the better either it's it's just it's going to slow down the um the repaint so like mostly most of the time you don't worry about repaints you only worry about reflows um but when you have transparency and you're animating the transparency it has to figure out what color every pixel is um you know like 60 frames per second so that's uh, that's going to affect your your performance and you might it it will affect the, the memory and you can actually crash your browser i actually managed to crash uh an eight gig computer browser um, using shadows one time. <laughs> I debugged JavaScript for six hours because I was sure I had an infinite loop. Um, and then finally I said, okay, pull out the JavaScript. And I'm like, I don't see what's going on. And it was this inset shadow that wasn't even showing. Um, mm-hmm. It was behind another element. But um, since I was animating the element in front of it, it had to repaint the background each time. I mean, it was the same element, but it had an inset shadow on the. Right. On uh, uh, back. As we know, those are generally worse than outset shadows for whatever crazy reason. Uh, and then books too, right? Like a ton of uh, HTML5 and CSS3 for the real world. That one's out now, right? But you have like a slew of them coming out this year too. Right? So I had um, I'm uh, Stoyan put together this uh, advent calendar of performance. And so if you're actually interested in the mobile performance that I was just talking about, um, my presentation's online, and then I wrote an article for the um, Web Performance Daybook, um, and they actually published all the chapters from the Advent Calendar into a book called uh, Web Performance Daybook Volume 2. Um, volume 1 is not out yet, um, so it's kind of funny that Volume 2. And then I have uh, this book called What is CSS3? It's 15 pages. It just explains all the modules. That should be coming out next week. Um, and that's Oh, Really? Nice. Yeah, it's just a 15-pager, but it's a free download from O'Reilly. And then I'm writing HTML5, the definitive guide for O'Reilly, um, and that's going to be a monster, but that won't be out till like, January or February. And then um, mobile HTML5, which I'm hoping to get out before the end of the year. Wow. 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 That's a lot. And that's in, in addition to 33 talks that I'm giving this year. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So you do, do some work. I'm insane. I, I looked at your... You have like all your slides up on your GitHub, is that right? And yeah. like you cover a wide variety of topics. How do you like handle being such like a uber generalist kind of? Or do you consider yourself a specialist? Or I actually consider myself a specialist because I'm uber front end. So um, I'll integrate with the back end, but I don't actually write any back end code anymore. So I used to be an uber generalist in terms of you know uh, PHP. Um, Unix managing the server all the way to CSS and then at some point like six years ago I'm like there's too much in CSS JavaScript and HTML I can't focus on PHP anymore cool. um, you know and, and then now I don't even work in PHP shops I'm working in a Python shop mostly um, before that I was working in um, in a, a Ruby shop and then when it comes to mobile uh, when I was working at Apple, it was purely front end, which was awesome. So we didn't even touch any back end. Nice. Doesn't matter when you're front end, kind of. Well, that, that's what I mean by like I'm a I'm a specialist yeah. in front end instead of a generalist in full stack. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dave just said, "Are you a generalist?" I'm like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> 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 no, no, I think that's super cool. I, I just, I just was like, you have such a wide breadth of, just even the front end spectrum is, you seem fully covered. It's very cool, and I'm, I want to be like you one day. What do you do? Oh, I, I do front I end. Interviewer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> flip. <laughs> 
Um, I'm a, I do, I like started at like, I guess like you, like in the back end, but now I'm doing like mostly front end stuff. So just pure HTML, CSS, JavaScript, web performance, blah, blah, blah. So you do exactly what I do. Forever. So you're. I do that too, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, Chris, don't, Chris. Yep. You're out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it's just, it's cool. I just, you're like. Even just your GitHub is just like a compendium of like what you need to know as a front end person. It's cool. So I'm going to post my uh, GitHub account to the to the uh, to the room, um, and anyone who's in the room, feel free to go to that URL. Um, it has uh, tutorials, like one hour tutorials and twenty four hour tutorials. If you I'll want, I'll put them. this in the show notes too for people. Okay. That and also give me links to that 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 fifteen page book. I had no idea that. What? Give me a link to that when you when you're it's, done with it. Yeah, the the, the link um, they just showed me the cover last week, um, so I assume it's coming out next week because I actually wrote it in December, um, and um, it's just been floating around. And like, please print it because it's already outdated. And then my last paragraph, I re-updated and I said, by the way, this is already outdated because. Um, the CSS working group just came out with a new spec and I'm not going to write about that because I'm sick of updating this book at this point. I didn't actually write all of that out, um, but I did say, you know, don't think this is up to date because things are moving so fast that this is probably outdated by the time it's printed, which is actually true because they came out with a new spec, which I haven't looked at yet, and I don't know the name of because I'm busy. Okay, let's. Uh, uh, do we have any? Th- 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 I think Dave you know, might be. Yeah. What do you got? Oh, I'm here. Well, we don't have any. Um, I don't. I don't have any hilarious questions to start things out with. But I was wondering if you guys wouldn't mind if I spun the uh, the wheel of hot drama a bit. No, if, please do. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I got to get it out of the closet here, and then. Okay, the wheel of hot drama. We should have done it last week and we didn't, so I am apologizing for that. We should right. have. Well, there's two two kind of hot dramas here. So okay. the the first one is uh, picture element got proposed. So oh, yeah. there's like a proposal out. So congrats to Will. Well, it's in the dev spec. It's like literally in dev.w3c. whatever. So that's cool also and it's like delorean's compromise or whatever i'm sure i got that word wrong but it's <laughs> florian <Florian's. Yeah. laughs> it's a lorian's car like- <laughs> <laughs> and it's an awesome car i actually got to drive one once really did you really you got yeah. to drive a delorean from la all the way up to san jose yeah it was kind of nice and did the you looks like- you get at- I-, I got gas three times just so people would stare at me <laughs> <laughs> did you take the one I took five. Uh, I took the five. Uh, okay. Okay. Picture I, element. I would, it's, um, go ahead. What yeah. do you got? I could talk DeLoreans all day. So picture element is there. The next thing, and Estelle, I would love your point of view on this. The the Twitter drama, like Twitter, like ousting developers and API keys and limits and blah, blah, blah. Is, Estelle, have you like followed any of that? and? Um, you're asking me about two dramas that I decided not to follow. Sometimes when I see drama coming down, I'm like, I'm just going to let the people who are passionate about this fight this out and tell me what the conclusion is at the end. Um, uh, because like my opinion on the picture element is I understand. First of all, I, I almost never use foreground images. I really only use foreground images when they're actual images as content. Um, so... I can do full websites without using a single image element. I do it all the time. Um, the only time I put image elements in is when I'm doing conferences and I put the pictures of the speakers. That's it. Um, so um, that's still irrelevant, though, because what, what you know, like you know, I know, but I'm not like passionate about it because I don't use it um, that. Like it's one of those elements that I don't use that often, which is weird because I think most developers probably it's like that's the most important. I'm like, no, forms are most important because you can do a site without a picture, but you can't do a site without a form. Um, I'm geeky that way. Um, so, like to me, the, the what made sense is um, using the image element with additional attributes because that way it's backwards compatible. But I wasn't passionate enough about it to argue it. 
This is you know still I mean? backwards compatible because there's an image element in the picture element. Right. But whatever. But I, the yeah. whole source said, I'm like, you guys fight it out. Whatever you decide um, is, <laughs> it's is, cool. is, is, is cool with me. Um, you know, you, 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 there's so many battles in web development. You kind of have to um, pick you. Because I used to be involved in the accessibility argument, and I'm like, uh, you know, Ian's never going to listen anyway, so I'm, instead of getting angry about this, I'm going to get angry about something else. Um, so if you read my Twitter feed, I'm, ang- I'm angry about politics instead of, like, political politics instead of HTML politics right now. So the Twitter one, that was the other one. That kind of happened last week, but we could... We can be mad about it or whatever now if we want to. I, I, I think it's a little bit of a big deal because there's literally – there's people like like the Tweetbot Alpha was pulled because they're like, we just don't have enough keys to support people that might not be interested in the product. It's, so it's, it's hurting – it's already actively hurting third-party Twitter clients. And the, like I, normally I'd be like, I don't care. Twitter makes really good native apps like Twitter for iPad and Twitter for Mac, they're, they're, they're good apps, but not, and now, now I got this retina MacBook pro and the, the, the Twitter for Mac client on it just is unusably, it hasn't been updated in forever. The text is super blurry on it. And it's like, if you're going to stop third parties from making clients, then you have to kick it up a notch on the clients that you make. You can't you can't kill us on both ends. That's do you all. think they're going to reverse their decision, or do you think their decision is final? I don't. I don't. I bet they won't. I think yeah. they're moving forward. I'm. I. I just. I'm so curious. Like I, I understand. Like businesses need business plans, and they're they have to move in a direction and stuff like that. But I just sit around and I'm like, what's where is this headed? So I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm curious. I mean, the, the thing is, if you don't allow the third-party um, APIs and it make it more difficult, fewer people are going to end up integrating it. Um, and it's going to, you know, right now it's the popular thing. And if the apps aren't working, people are going to have to pull it from their applications and they're going to lose popularity. So I think they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. They should have come up with a business model maybe like five years ago or six years ago. Um, and they're just coming up with it now, it seems like. Um, and they're not really fully understanding the repercussions of their actions, I don't think. Yeah. Perhaps not. I, turbulent thing, time. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a problem, but I use Twitter as like my auth, my OAuth for a lot of applications. And, um, I don't know if that's going to be a problem in the future. I, that's maybe something for me to research, but uh, you know, it's, I'm a little hesitant to like use up one of their like API keys or slots because I'm just testing out an application or whatever. So it's just interesting. Um, I don't know for e- even like casual app developers who are trying to just like extend their user base by making logins easier. So anyway, that's, I, I don't really know what I'm talking about, so I should probably just shut up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that that I don't think they're going to be pulling the um, available. I mean, I haven't read up on it, but I I can't imagine that they would pull the ability to do OAuth via Twitter because that is what is helping them remain popular, and that would really be in their worst, like Man, definitely not in their best interest. <clears throat> All right, I have some other links that I was going to share as part of like the, our news and links section that are interesting, but they're kind of timeless links. And as a matter of fact, as I look at my little list here, I think a little bit of time on these links would be good anyway. So I'd, ra- I'd like to just get into Q&A, if that's good with y'all. Sorry, right, Femi? Okay. You want to hit the first one? Well, it's an Question audio answer. one. It's the, it's the meat and potatoes of the Shop Talk show here. So we got first audio question for Estelle, I think. You're you're uh, addressed by name, so this should be good. Is it? Okay. I don't think. Hi, Estelle. I have a question about the type attribute of an HTML anchor element. The HTML5 specification states that the type attribute, if it's present, gives the MIME type of the linked resource, and that the attribute is purely advisory. What I'd like to know is: is there a reason why browsers can't change their HTTP requests to override the default accept header? so that it matches the value of the type attribute. 
This would make it much easier to have separate representations for the same resource at a given URL, which is, pos uh, which is popular in RESTful systems. Is there a chance that browser implementations could change that this could happen? Thanks, Nick. So Nick is kind of talking about, like, there's a specification that your a your anchor ref tag can have a type equals text dot slash HTML, sort of like specifying a MIME type in there. And he, he, so he's asking, like, I guess, would it make more sense for browsers to, like, start passing these as headers, you know, to to the request? So any any thoughts or inclinations in that manner? Um, I was, like, I had never looked at this till actually yesterday when it was failing for me in, wasn't doing anything in Firefox. Um, so I haven't really looked at it deeply at all other than five minutes ago yesterday going, wow, you know, this doesn't do anything. Um, so I don't have a, a, an answer because it's not something that I've actually delved into. But I'd love to hear that question again like seven times so I can fully understand the question. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a mind bender, and I wish I wish you guys could look at the code I'm looking at because it makes a lot more sense when you see the two anchor links right next to each other. I'll 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 put it in our little Skype chat so Estelle can see it. Sorry, radio people, okay. but it's kind of like let's say you had an, an, an the href for two links were both pointed to the exact same place, like slash menu, but one of them served application type text HTML, or and one of them served a, a type of application PDF. So it's two links, they go link to the same place, but because the header is different, the server might serve up something different. And, it, and I think Nick was just asking, like, could browsers implement that? And the answer is totally, right? It's not... Like browsers can do whatever they want, <laughs> or whatever you know. Uh, but this might be a, a server level thing too. I wonder if it's sort of attached to the download attribute, like just so like you're you're saying like download a PDF or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I also have questions. It's kind of a weird school. question. I'd like to ask Nick, like what you know, like is it that hard? Like, can you just pass a query string too that? says make this resource a PDF you know how they how kind of like API uh, URL structures are often like you just put a query string at the end that says if you want it in JSON or if you need it in XML or whatever and it just it's still restful you know yeah well that's what I think I think like I would like my like I want to go to menu.html for HTML and menu.pdf to get the PDF that that to me seems more restful like you have a a, a like I don't know an absolute URL for the type of content rather than like if I visited it in my browser it's relative to whatever my cookie was or something my yeah. previous request well it's a it's a legit question for sure Nick and, and it's interesting and it could be done but it probably you know things like this need to be spec'd and there's got to be really legitimate use cases for it and the right people need to see it and the people that you know somebody needs to get excited about it and implement it and then hopefully convince other browsers to do it and then and then a hundred years passes and then we can start using it so. right I mean I don't think any uh, well I assume Chrome probably does do something with it and Firefox ignores it completely Um at least that was what I was hitting. Um, it was actually looking at it from um, the the file input type perspective when it says what it accepts. Um, yeah. And so, you know, like if you do an accept and you say like text CSV, Chrome will will um, when your when the, um, the file browser thing opens, the file browser or? comes up. You can't pick anything except for .csv. Oh, it wor that Whereas works in Chrome and Firefox. That works in doesn't. Chrome and in Firefox. It it it's like oh, I didn't even know that. What that I that found in testing means. that stuff is that 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 is highly dependent cross uh, platform as well. Uh, so it, in Firefox, it might not work on the Mac, but would work on Windows. That's a weird one. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's one of those questions where I have to look into it. I can't give you an answer off the fly. Um, but if you want to send me the qu the question and an email address, I can get back to them. That's cool. Noted. Next one, we got one from Bob Lindner, who asks, Today I was working on a site for mobile phones and found out the hard way that iOS devices render differently when pulling the content from the .mobi 
top-level domain. iOS seems to not do its magical scaling, the viewport meta tag stuff, when the TLD is .mobi. Have you ever heard of this? I can't find anything official online from Apple or WebKit. Would love to hear your take on it. That was news to me. I almost didn't. I almost don't believe it. Is that true, Estelle? I never hit that, um, but you know that's a that's a very like specific case. So I would have to actually try to hit, you know, like upload content to a Mobi site, which I don't have anything with a um, a Mobi TLD, um, and test it to see like if I can replicate it. Because maybe the server, maybe the Mobi server is actually. Um, like it's the exact same viewport. Maybe there's a uh, it's the exact same meta tag. Maybe there's a typo in the meta tag. Yeah, um, I would. I, that, that would I be can't just, imagine. Seems, right. I mean, yeah, I can't I imagine that that iOS is saying, "Oh, from this TLD, I'm going to do something different." I I think it's probably something in the code that. And um, I think it would be a little irresponsible if they did. To be honest with you, right? Like, it's just a TLD. You know, you can you should have the right to <laughs> not I, have I your site messed with. And when the, the when the content comes back, I mean the, the you know the response is is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and images. It's not like oh, and by the way, um, check out this TLD. Do you know what I mean? Right, Cause right. Maybe it's coming from a CDN. Emily, it's possible that that an, right. uh, an iOS device could do this if it wanted to. I just I suspect something else is going on here, Bob. <clears throat> That's our answer. Something else is going on. Next. <laughs> next, awesome. Uh, next is from Billy Brown calling in asking about Flexbox stuff. Hello, Shop Talk Show. With all this talk and excitement about the new Flexbox syntax and its imminent arrival by the end of the year, I was wondering which of its specific features you were most excited about and what you're planning on using it for. I've read the Mozilla specs, but haven't really got a clear idea of how it could be used for a proper project instead of just providing some fun gimmicks in a on a page. Uh, what does Flexbox actually do? Yeah, practical yeah. real-world stuff. What does it do? Um, in practical real-world stuff, it basically um, allows you to to do a flexible layout, um, which I've been doing with uh, percentages. I don't know if you ever read so Gillenwater's um, book, but basically... You know, if everyone knew how to do what she knows how to do, you wouldn't need Flexbox. But since no one knows how to do what Zoe Gillenwater knows how to do, um, they came out with Flexbox. Um, so I guess I'm most excited about talking because I don't just uh, freelance at at um, at SurveyMonkey um, in terms of for clients. I, I also have like some graphic designers that I've been working with who were originally print designers um, and. They don't necessarily get web even after ten years. Um, still trying to teach them, um, but they give you you know these print layouts and it's like it's nine hundred sixty pixels wide and that's it. Um, and you yeah. can kind of make the design look great in nine hundred sixty pixels, which is exactly what they're going to look at it as, and makes it make it flexible and um, um, it's much easier to make it flexible. Um, but I've been using you know three, four, five column layouts using floats, and I know that like the back of my hand. So I wasn't like, yay, Flexbox, because I can pretty much do any design that I need to do. So grids is a huge thing with Flexbox. It makes yeah. grids way, way, way easier. And equal height grids, they're just equal height naturally, because the yeah. elements that get the flex attribute or, or become display flex or whatever, or whatever they call them, a flex container, there's some terminology. Yeah, it makes it makes grids just really robust and strong and good, you know? And I think it's awesome for people who are coming into CSS and web development now because it's going to make life so much easier um, for them. I mean, like, I wrote an article one time on doing a three-column layout and making your columns look the same size, et cetera, et cetera. It was a four-part series. Because um, it was, you know, it's like this is how you do it when the when the order is A B C. This is how you reverse the order. This is how you make them all the same height. And it was so complex. So, you know, I've been doing this for twelve years, so I know how to do it. Um, but it's not easy to explain. It's not easy to do. And I think Flexbox is going to make life so much easier for um, um, for those entering the profession now um, when browsers support it. You know, we can't we can't quite uh, use it yet. We still have IE7. No. I'm sure that's the big question. Yeah. 
Uh, and and and, there, and it was just rewritten Flexbook, so it's really it's going to be IE ten before. I that's my understanding, and don't quote me on this. Just I'm going to say it to the world, and it's going to be recorded. Uh, right. But don't quote me on it. Uh, is that I think IE ten is going to have the old syntax, but prefixed. False. False. Okay. <laughs> it's the new one, but prefixed, and not okay. only the new one. It's uh, and I hate the only reason I know this is because I dug into this really recently. So don't. I mean, and it's weird and complicated, and you know whatever. I'm just saying there's there's old flexbox in quotes. Then there's new flexbox in quotes, and then there was a really awkward middle period where it was like just as it was starting to get rewritten, there was some some new syntaxes. So there's the awkward middle phase, middle right. phase of it, and that's what IE10 is shipping with. Okay, and it's closer to new than old, but it's okay. still weird, and it's prefixed, right. and it's still going to be good. And I'm sure they'll they'll update it and fix it or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean old old flexbox. I meant yeah. Old singular flexbox. Yeah, you're kinda right. Like, kind of like, uh, uh, what is it? Gradients. There's old, and then there's old old. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there's almost. Like- <laughs> that was the best possible sound effect at that moment. Uh, okay, so th- and how, how about okay, vertical just, centering, huh? How long how, have you ever wanted to vertically center? I, I just want to make a note on gradients. Um, if you're if you are using gradients, and you're supporting old mobile devices, you actually still have to include the old old um, WebKit version for like Android two point three and stuff. Yeah, the one with the with the really verbose color yeah. stops. Yeah. So that doesn't seem to be going away as much as we wanted to. Sorry, you were saying centering. Centering is going to be awesome. Yeah, Flexbox has uh, vertical centering in it. Tell me you've needed to vertically center something in your life before, and it's been a pain in the butt. Oh, now you can just do it with, like, two lines of code in Flexbox. So that's huge. That's very real world. Uh, But we should say, yeah, and so, I don't know, I'm I'm calling, like, about a year from now, we can really start, like, digging into the new Flexbox. Probably it's going to need some time to to propagate across the browser world, but the new Flexbox is looking really, really good and exciting. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I think there was a Tab Atkins article. He's like, it's not really for layout, though, which is kind of weird, but he had, he had some good points in the article because it's a it's unidirectional, right? You set up Flexbox, and it's either like grids horizontally or basically a grid vertically. It's it's a unidirectional kind of layout thing and 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 more complex layouts are more than that right they're not just so it it ends up being flexbox within flexbox within flexbox within flexbox sometimes which Don't i'm not sure just just tables kidding they're <laughs> sorry they're bidirectional yeah. uh, it is similar <laughs> to that though isn't it it's tabley there's a there's a great talk um by zed shaw uh, and he basically kind of go. He's like the web. It's called the web will die when OOP dies, and he basically spends like the first like twenty minutes just saying what's wrong with the web. And one of the things he says is like, and I'm gonna cuss here. Sorry for you live listeners, but it, I'll bleep it out. But it's like, why can't I center? And that's the whole like. He just is just like that's so stupid that the that you can't do that, but. I'm so glad we're finally getting it. I like say yeah. this in my head about 16 times a day. I'm just like, why can't I just center something? I want to set it, center it. So no, no, I hear you. Um, uh, on my old blog, I used to have this blog called evotech.net slash blog because that was such a memorable name. And I had this blog post about vertical centering that must have gotten 70,000 hits the first year that I published it. <laughs> back in like 2007 um and it was a total hack you hadn't kind of know the height of your element um but it was possible to vertically center using absolute positioning and well, there's lots of fun yeah. tricks these days you get yeah. uh, one of the really interesting ones i've seen recently is to make a pseudo element a display inline block pseudo element that has a height of 100 percent of the of the element that it's in and then set vertical align equals middle. So then you have like a paragraph after that so that it, it'll like, you know what I mean? Like vertical align middle, how it will put a display inline box elements next to each other while centered. It's a really clever vertical centering technique. I'm sure, I'm sure I murdered trying to explain it, can but you it's kind of a cool one where you don't need to know the height in it. Yeah. In can you state. drop the uh, link to that also in the notes? Yeah. I'll make a code pen. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, it's clever as hell. But, uh, oh, can do we, you gotta bleep that too? Can you say, I, we're trying to keep the, we wanted, we don't want that little red tag on iTunes. We want everybody to listen to this show. Uh, okay. 
next-ish? Yeah. No, let's yeah. do a sponsor. Yes. Hold on. So Squarespace, right? Squarespace.com. And go to, well, if you do it, and just, you might as well just do it right now. Hook us up, guys. Go to squarespace.com slash shop talk. So we get some, we just get some credit points. If you decide to go with shop talk to build your website, it is a web app for building websites. And it's the perfect kind of thing for the people who listen to this show. I think the number one use for Squarespace is, um, is, is something to like make the site that for your mom or whatever, where she really wants you to do the site, but you really, really, really don't have time even though it's your mom and you love her and you want to make her a website just do it on show her sit down with her and open up squarespace and be like look this is it you can do this yourself pick this awesome template when you want to edit the thing just you know click the little pencil or whatever and edit and write a write a post and post it and just drag and drop pictures into it like it's the most user-friendly thing ever it's this great uh web app for it and, and and you can kind of give control to them and and free up your own time so but it's more than that i mean it's a very powerful platform for building a website, and especially Squarespace Six is really good. If you want, if you end up using it for your mom squarespace.com or whatever, uh, use show, code Shop Talk Eight and you'll save ten percent off of um, for whatever it is that you buy. Whether if you buy a month or a year or two years or whatever, you'll save ten percent off the top of it with coupon code Shop Talk Eight. So, and you know what? If you're a designer and you're de- in, in just for inspiration, it's worth going to Squarespace and signing up and logging in because their interface is so hot. So that's my pitch. That's my pitch, yo. Yeah, the idea of trying to teach my parents how to do a website scares me. It took me like an hour to get my father to press the green button on Skype so he could connect to me. (laughs) So just don't. (laughs) (laughs) But that Squarespace sounds awesome. Yeah, it's good. No credit card to sign up. 10% off. Anyway, thanks, Squarespace. Uh, Andy Howells, we, we got a we got an audio yeah, one. We got another, Andy, we got another audio question. Our audio questions are our favorite kind of questions here at the Shop Talk Show. Here we go. Hi guys, I've got a query just about general web design services and something that we do a lot of is creating the designs from scratch and then developing them. Now, I have a graphic designer and, and we work together on all of our projects and kind of come up with the look and feel of the site before we progress into the development. Um, one kind of roadblock we always have to get through is getting client approval on the design. So we'll do um, like some research on the customer base, try and figure out what the best look is going to be. But every now and then we kind of come up against the resistance against what their preconceived notions are of what they want to see and you know they, they want it to pop or whatever. And it's kind of sometimes we run into difficult clients who really just don't want to listen and I didn't know if you had any tips or ways that we can kind of propose to them look this is you really need to listen to us on this and this is why we've chosen it because we try to be quite open and quite friendly and always open for ideas but every now and then we just really hit a roadblock and I was hoping you guys had some experience or some ideas that that might help us get our point across cheers that's an awesome question so yeah, what do you do when you the client has bad ideas? Uh, well, let me just answer what I do before they give me their bad ideas. Um, I'm not a designer, but every client I've had that I've created a design for, they've always approved the first design. And my trick is, I ask, I send them. A, a, I have this form that has 22 questions on it, um, and it's actually on my blog. If you do 22 questions to ask before you do website or something like that, you'll find it. Um, I'll post the link later on. But um, the two main questions that really help me are: tell me your, you know, like your five favorite sites in terms of look and feel, and tell me what you don't like about those sites, um, or what you would change, and then tell me your least favorite sites, like the ones that you find the least attractive, and tell me what the redeeming qualities are. And so you'd think you'd like find what they like from the five favorite sites and what they don't like from the five worst sites, but you actually find out what they like from what they like about the bad sites and what they don't like um, based on what they say they don't like about the good sites. And so, you know, if they just really like that color blue on that crappy site, then that is probably their favorite color because they hated that site, but that was like their favorite part of it. So by inverting it, I get much more information about their likes and dislikes because usually people can't tell you why they like something or why they don't like something. You know what I mean? Um, 
So well, you get both, right? You get both sides of the coin. Or yeah, whatever. by inverting it like that, um, you get much like they're not doing a self analysis. They don't under- realize it's a trick question, kind of, um, and they give you. Um, you can really get a lot of insight as to what they really don't like. Because, you know, here's their favorite site, but they really hate that the form is in the upper right-hand corner. Okay, definitely don't put the form in the upper right-hand corner. But why they like the site, I don't know. You know, because maybe, like, maybe they like unicorns, and it's a site about unicorns. You know, because they're telling you it's pretty, but it's really because they like the what they're selling. Um, so by telling them, you know, what they hate about the, their favorite sites, you really know what they don't like. Yeah, that's that's, that's awesome. really awesome. But that so that's like pre. You got to know that to be you know like like I don't know before you work on it, right? Which is I mean, so but like I mean, maybe we could think of something for Andy where he's already like he's a little further along in this process, and now they're trying to, as he put it, steamroll the design. The other thing you can do is tell him that. Um, you know, you will give to different designs for them, but you charge by the hour. And they're like, okay, we like it. <laughs> um, Let's leave it at that. that That's works. amazing. That works. <laughs> Adam Davidson asks, what does the term front-end web developer actually mean? I design my own sites. I code in HTML5, CS3, and jQuery. I thought this was the role of a front-end web developer, but, uh, but upon applying for other jobs in this category, they ask about experience with server-side technologies, such as PHP or ASP.NET, etc. Things like this throw me off to even applying for the job. Some jobs like these uh, say they're ideal but not essential, whilst others state you must have X years of experience. And um, I only wish to work on front-end designing and coding. So should I change the role I'm seeking to just web designer, or are these extra skills needed uh, from me as a uh, as a front-end person? Like, should it, should he learn some of this stuff? So that was the question there. What do, what do you think? I think different places have different definitions. I have my own definition. Like, I actually say that there's back-end, mid-tier, and front-end. Um, and to me, the mid-tier is actually the full stack. Um, you know, they know a teeny bit of CSS, but they don't know the intricacies of, you know, web performance when it comes to inset shadows. You know, the, the like, they've done the... They've done six months of CSS, not ten years. Um, but they've also... You know, like they know how to hit the database, and and um, whereas the backend engineer is programming in C and then bringing it up, but maybe knows their HTML tags, but definitely doesn't know CSS. And the front end engineer, you can also call yourself a UI engineer, um, which is just doing the user interface. Um, to me, that's JavaScript, CSS, um, and HTML. But there, you need to know also about performance um, and browsers and stuff like that. If you call yourself a designer. You're saying that you want to be in Photoshop, um, and I actually purposely never learned Photoshop, and I never learned how to make coffee because I don't want to ever have to make coffee for anyone, and I don't want to spend my days in Photoshop. I I definitely want to be coding. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, when people write job descriptions, that usually it's people who don't like they're not in the role. If they were in the role, they wouldn't need to hire them for the role, right? Um, so, you know, if you have an HR person, like, you know, they, they tell me they want me to know CSS, HTML, and Java. I'm like, okay, this person doesn't know the difference between Java and JavaScript still. Um, you know, I know that that's coming from the recruiter. It's not coming from the hiring manager. Um, you know, look at the site and see what they're talking about. Front-end engineer, I think, should know how to integrate into the mid-tier level should like if you're working in a python shop you should know a little bit about python but you should know at least you know what takes a week to learn not what takes uh three years to master so that would be my answer that's and, good and and you know like there's always lines in 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 resumes that don't apply to you i mean in uh, job descriptions that don't apply to you um what i think is important is in your resume put Highlight what you want to do. Don't put the tech technologies that you don't want to be working in. So, yeah, you know BASIC and Pascal, but you don't want to be working in BASIC and Pascal. Take them off your resume. Um, you know what I mean? Because, like, you don't want to be quizzed on BASIC or Pascal. Yeah. It's like that's something you did 10 years ago. Plus, the less um, cruft on your resume just makes it look cleaner anyway. Yeah. I mean, the people you know, that read these things don't want to see every word under the sun. Yeah, if you want to be doing CSS 99% of the time, 
then limit your resume to just CSS, HTML, and and JavaScript, and put tons and tons of CSS. Um, you're going to have a hard time finding a job that does just CSS, but like I, mine is heavily CSS oriented, and I'm always you know amazed when someone calls me for a JavaScript architect. I'm like, I could do it, but I wouldn't hire myself to do that. Um, there's definitely people who are more qualified to be a JavaScript architect than myself. Uh, why would you want to hire me to do JavaScript only and not do CSS? So highlight your skill set, what you really want to be doing in your resume, rather than everything you know how to do. That's my answer. And I'm sticking to it. I, I totally agree with that. I think, I mean, you could put, like, you know, PHP or ASP or something, but just, I mean, just be really honest with them, like, you wouldn't. I know a little bit, but you wouldn't want to hire me for that. No, that's not my strength. I mean, just be honest. Mm-hmm. I used to have one line on my CS uh, on my resume that says, you know, have integrated front ends with these back ends, and I listed all the back ends or mid tiers, and um, you know, recruiters will just do a key term search, and so I, you know, I used to, I used to have as my header, I do not want to work on ASP.NET. Um, and then I got all these ASP.NET requests because I had the key term. So I could just mm-hmm. throw those resumes away, but instead I just made fun of the recruiters because they obviously weren't reading anything. They were just spamming everyone. I'm getting sidetracked onto my disdain for recruiters. Sorry mm-hmm. if there's any recruiters in the audience. Um, there's some recruiters that give all recruiters a bad name, which is really, really sad. Um, but yeah, instead of saying, I know PHP, even if you do know PHP, if you don't want to be working in PHP, just say, I've integrated front ends into PHP, you know, blah, 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 mid-tiers. So they know that you know it um, and that you can work in their shop, but they don't think that that's what you want to be coding. Good stuff. Adam, and there, I hope that was useful yeah. to you. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. I was just, they're also highballing, so when they're like, you must have at least 10 years of experience, like, they're just kind of highballing that probably and just hoping they can get some developer with 10 years of experience to be like, oh, they're taking this really serious or something. But I, I would assume. I don't know. There's jobs out there. It's like, must have 10 years of Android experience. And it's like, <laughs> that's not exactly. Thing, but Yeah, the, the like two years ago, I got a job requisition and said five years of jQuery experience. I'm like, darn, John Rezik couldn't even apply for this one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, not to call you out here, Adam. I want to just. I just want to say that this when this this question came in, it's just you're just sending a question to uh, you know some dumb podcast. So I understand this is not a big deal. But there was quite a few typos in here and quite a, in like some awkward sentences and stuff. I'm just giving you a fair warning. If you're applying for some jobs and sending some emails and stuff, really be careful about that stuff. It looks like you're in the in that position. Like read over those emails a couple times. You know, make sure you catch every typo and stuff. Like if you're applying for a job and you send you know in in, in the, the first email that they read from you is like has awkward sentences and typos and stuff in it you're you're gone right away you know i i would be i would just be turned off and be like i can't deal with that that's you know like he doesn't even you know he can't even take the time to care on this this first email just i'm just heads up be, be careful about that on on that note, when I was looking for my um, first job and didn't think I could get one, I was looking for a paid internship, and I sent out um, a letter because back then you sent out letters, not emails, um, and I spelled paid wrong. I spelled it P A Y E D. I was so mortified when I found out. I'm like, okay, time to look for a job in a different city. I would email him back immediately and be like, <laughs> I, I am so sorry. I have this funny story of uh, uh, of my old, one of my old boss at Wufu, Ryan Campbell, and he tells this story too. It's funny. Actually, he told it. We were out for dinner the other night, and he told it. it was funny. Maybe you even remember Estelle. It was like he had somebody else write his slides for him, and he was talking about CSS randomly, even though I can't imagine Ryan talking about CSS. But he, when it got to that slide, he, he was he was a pseudo element, and he's like, and then the persuado <laughs> element. Was a, it was like you might as well just sit down, buddy. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Persuado. <laughs> oh, Persuado Ryan. I think that's what I'm going to have to call him when I see him on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. 
still works there. Uh, okay, cool. What else was I going to say? Oh, I got, so I, we didn't do the link section at the beginning because I wanted to get into Q&A faster, but I should feel like I should do this one because dude is in the chat room. Uh, font prep, fontprep.com. You know, you guys have used Font Squirrel, right? Where you take like a TTF font and that's the only version of it you have and you run it through Font Squirrel to get all the different versions of it that you need. Um, this is like, like Font Squirrel, only you just, you, you don't, you can do it. It's an app for, it's like a Mac app. So you can just, it spins up a local server and does all that same stuff, but locally. So you can do it offline or a Font Squirrel to go away or if you needed to do it illegally. <laughs> Or whatever. Uh, that's a bad. I shouldn't have said that, but you know what I mean. It's just like a local For font your own squirrel. personal use. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I thought it was cool. I'm like, hey, I like I like fonts. So check out font prep. Uh, uh, what else was I going to say? Maybe we should just move on. Actually, you know what? It's, how about environments for humans? They are the best. We, me and Dave, just yesterday, and didn't did you Estelle? Did you speak at the one the the perf one? Didn't you? Yes, I spoke like at yesterday. the uh, perf one yesterday. It was an awesome uh, conference. And it was two days ago, me and Dave were at the responsive web design one. So sorry, everybody. I don't mean to be like plugging conferences that you can't go to anymore. But uh, but yeah, they do a lot of these environments for humans. Does a lot of these online conferences, but they also do face to face conferences, like the In Control conference. What's that? And we're go we're going to Hawaii. Yeah, all three of us in this room. How is it that we managed to book guests? We're, I guess it's just, I, there's probably something to it. But whoever the guests are, we're like, we're all three of us are going to be at this thing. But it's true. All three of us will be in Hawaii at the CSS DevConf, which runs back-to-back -back with the In Control Conference. It's in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I just, I just couldn't be more excited. And you can join us because there's still tickets available. And uh, Chris, you're doing a full day workshop, and I am doing a full day workshop too. Is it a full so, day? I didn't say full day, did I? I hope it's half day. It's full there's, day. Oh god, dang it! All right. Well, the second it's, half will be a little light. I'm doing a, what are I'm you doing? doing? A full day surf workshop, <laughs> and we're going surfing tube steak. It's gonna be really <laughs> groovy. Hang ten. What does tube steak mean? Is that something they say? I don't know, tube but you steak and moon doggy. Those are our new nicknames, Chris. Oh, you're calling me? Can I be tube steak? Yeah, you're tube steak. I'm moon doggy. <laughs> this is going forward. Okay. Shop talk the yep. coupon code. We'll give you a hundred bucks off the thing. So what you should do is convince your business to go and charge them the full price and use the coupon code and pocket the hundred bucks. <clears throat> spend, it, spend it on um, on Kahlua or whatever. Yeah. The, what mm -hmm. are those drinks that I like so much that they have in Hawaii? Drinks for us three. I don't know. Like, you know, my ties or something. My ties. That's it. My ties. Coupon yeah. So you can do a hundred dollars. You can buy me a hundred dollars worth of my ties. Let's see if we can do two more. Anyway, thanks again for uh, Christopher Schmidt, Ari. You guys are the best. Environments for humans. Good conferences. Yay! Everybody, go to them. Let's do two more questions. Two. You want to read more questions? So, um, yeah, this one's from Neil Osmond, and he's asking: jQuery seems a little fat for mobile usage. Zepto doesn't support IE. What's your take when it comes to library choice on responsive projects? Do you also feel it's time for people to go back and concentrate on vanilla JavaScript? End question. So what? I, what, I know you recommend. I give Zepto, a I right? give a talk on this. So, um, so for mobile, you don't really. You know, like uh, Wikipedia, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to do this. They used to include jQuery um, for get element by ID. Now, you don't That's need... That's the only well, thing they did or whatever? That, that was really what they needed from it. Or something mm -hmm. like that was obviously supported in all browsers anyway. So when you're on a mobile device, you first have to download over, you know, over the air the... Um, the uh, the JavaScript, and I think uh, someone in the library put vanilla.js. No, my favorite is vanilla.js, which is just an open and closing tag, and that's what I use for um, for mobile. Because when you download jQuery, not only are you downloading it, but then you have a cache, right? So you're like, oh, I don't have to download it. It actually uh, takes four joules of energy every time you load a page because it's parsing it and rerunning it. Um, so protect your jewels. You, you, you protect your jewels. You're, you're draining the battery for no apparent reason. And yeah, four jewels isn't like the end of the world, but it's not necessary. Your mobile devices understand like 
you know, vanilla JS is, is, and by vanilla JS, I mean, just hand coding JavaScript, um, the mobile device will understand it. So it depends, like, why are you pulling in jQuery? Are you pulling in jQuery so you can like have a pretty navigational open dropdown feature? Uh, just use transitions and say, okay, IE7, it just opens automatically. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't open slowly. Big whoop to do. You're, you're slowing down their, their, you know, they're not going to see it. They're not going to know the difference. So try to figure out why you're using JavaScript. Do you really need it? Um, and if you don't, don't include it um, at all. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing a web application, yes, you'll need JavaScript, and you probably need a library beyond what jQuery can do for you. You actually need to code, you know, like jQuery will help you. Um, but if you're just doing a website with very little interactivity, do vanilla JS and just um, give IE7 a little bit less of an experience when it comes to transitions and transforms and animation. And use, oh, and definitely for mobile, don't use JavaScript animations use native animations. Uh, the browsers are optimized for doing CSS animations, not for doing JS animations. You're using a CPU for for no reason. You're running your CPU rather for no reason. Okay, so I, I didn't really realize this, but Zepto also- doesn't even support like IE10. Like Zepto, Zepto is like a really super similar to jQuery library that does a lot of the same stuff, and in fact, the syntax is like exactly the same. So basically, you already know Zepto if you know jQuery. Uh, but I didn't realize in their target platforms that like they they just won't even list a target browser support for IE, which is you know that's pretty harsh. It's Thomas Fuchs. Yeah. Anyway, cool. I suspect that it probably works fine. I was going to say, you can, you can build your own jQuery now. So that's, a, that's another option. So, Neil, you, if you like jQuery and you love it, you can build a smaller one if that would suit your needs. So. Oh, my opinion put, is you I you don't care. A, you, Just can put use a, jQuery. you can put a conditional comment. You know, if IE9 or less, include um, jQuery. Um, and for all of the browsers, because, I mean, if you don't really need jQuery. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty simple. I'm not saying jQuery is bad. I'm just saying that people put libraries in because it's easy, but not because it's needed. Yeah. Well, if you literally not only need to get element by ID, I agree with that. But as soon as you need, I, I'm mostly, I'm mostly, I'm going to just gently d- agree to disagree on some of this stuff. And as soon as you need anything, I'm just a fan. Like it's not, it's just not that big of a deal. Just put it in there. It's, it's not that big of a performance concern. There's many other things that you're probably screwing up that you could do instead <laughs> to make your faster. You think? Yeah. No, it, it's it's mostly because you know my issue with jQuery. I think jQuery is a fabulous library, but what happens is people will put it on their mobile device, and then they will use, um, you know, they'll use JavaScript instead of CSS for their animations, for their hiding and their showing and stuff like that. And needless to say, I haven't dug into the jQuery library. I'm sure that um, jQuery is going to start if it hasn't already start using CSS for that, but. If you're not thinking in those terms, you might be using the wrong method. Um, you know, not using native transitions and instead actually animating uh, 60 times per, per second, which, uh, you know, just like on on um, desktop, your mobile browser is single-threaded. So do you really want to be using up having JavaScript running all the time? It, drain, it does drain your battery to have JavaScript running all the time. Let's do one more by Jason Witt. What do you think? Yeah, that's good. Uh, Okay, so this is kind of, this is a good one to go out on, I think. I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about this. Or maybe nothing. Why don't the W3C, the WhatWG, and browser vendors listen to the web dev slash design community? It seems like for years now we've been frustrated and complaining about the same issues over and over, like the way browsers render percentages differently, having a reliable way to center elements horizontally and vertically. It seems like having these CSS generate, you know, like he's like, oh, they're all of a sudden there's these CSS. <laughs> I didn't mean to put emphasis in your mouth. <laughs> we, oh, we can do these CSS animations and geolocations and stuff, but some core issues still haven't been addressed. Is it because they can't fix it or they just don't want to? I'll tell you, it'll be a good day when we can uh, enter center elements vertically. So, uh, Jason is frustrated. 
that that it seems like the Sanders organizations and the Browner vendors aren't listening. I think that um, we, you know, we've seen them basically, or we've observed them listening really well for the past few years. Um, and there's some things that are just really difficult to do. So, like the parents, you know, finding an element's parent in, as a selector, that's just not easy for a browser to do. That takes a lot of um, processing. Um, so it's not that browsers don't want to do them. It's that some things are really easy to implement and other things are really hard. Um, and it's not that it's hard code-wise. It's just hard on the processor. So, we're, you know, we are seeing some things like vertical centering um, with Flexbox and Grids. Awesome. That's coming down the pipe. But when you vertically center something, you have to figure out what the height of that element is before you can center it. Um, and so you have to basically, you know, do a layout and then reflow the page once you know what the height is. And then once you put that element in, did that change the height? Um, so it's a lot of, um, there's a lot of processing going on. So it's not that they don't want to, it's that they want their browsers to be performant and they're not going to put features in. It's that more than that, I think too. It's like, it's not, it's not, it's not that they want their browsers to be performant. It, they have to be there. It's absolutely not willing to be added to a, uh, they won't put a feature in if it's not like, you know, incredibly fast. You know? Yes. Right. I mean, I agree with you. I was just less adamant about yeah. it, but yes, you're completely right. Um, yeah, and uh, but I feel that not listening. There, there's one that I've been like, not exactly championing, but I've been, I've been like, kind of like, come on, guys, about for a lot of years now. And it's the uh, like how in WebKit you can't uh, transition or animate a pseudo element. That's been like a bug for a long time. It, it works in Firefox, but not. It doesn't seem like there's any like obvious reason why not. It's just one of those bugs that's been sitting in the bug tracker forever. Uh, but but I don't. I'm not like really pissed at them for. I mean, like I really want it, and it would be nice. And I feel like, come on, guys. But at the same time, I know what working on software is like. I have worked on lots of web apps. There's a huge list of things at all times that need attention, and there's not enough people to work on those things. So they, you know, the things that get picked are, number one, sometimes they're a little arbitrary. Sometimes they're like whatever a developer feels like working on at the moment, because that's what's going to make them happy. You know, you can't jam stuff down a developer's throat, otherwise you'll lose them and you don't want to lose developers because that's bad. Sometimes it's like, oh, you know, they had a meeting and we set some priorities and there's some stuff that's a little more important than an animating pseudo element. So it just hasn't made the cut so far. You know, it's just you got to just understand that that type of thing. And at, and at the same time, and maybe it's all with a little bit of mixed in that they're maybe not doing as good of a job as they could be, right? So I'm not I'm not trying to say they have no, no blame at all, but it's all that stuff in a big pot mixed together and it that's how it. Happens. You're, you're, you I agree with you on all points. What do you think, Dave? I yeah, I there. I, it seems like this, and this is maybe a weird context, but it seems like browser porn, like the cool stuff you can do with CSS, is way more attractive and way more, you know, just mind blowing and attention getting and user grabbing than just simple stuff like vertical centering or something, uh, which would be awesome as well in its own right. So I, d- I don't know why they preference stuff over another other things, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get frustrated that they can't do the simple things like the, f- the HTML5 form features. Those are so, to me, like, they're kind of like your generated content. To me, that's the most important. I'm like, how can you not do this? I've already written the script for this. You know, like I wrote the script in my in my spare time in an hour. Why can't you implement something? I mean, like I'm sure you guys can figure it out. You're better at JavaScript than I am, um, and yet they won't implement. Um, you know, Safari maybe Safari six. I haven't taken a look at Safari six yet because um, my I lent my computer out that has my upgrade to someone. Um, so, uh, but maybe they're finally doing um, native validation. But for the longest time, they weren't doing native validation. It's like, there's so many JavaScripts out there for native validation. Why can't you just grab a script that's already there and put it into your damn browser? Um, but yeah, it's priorities, I guess, also. So that was good. I mean, I understand the frustration, Jason. Continue to be frustrated if you'd like. I, there's so many things that all these organizations could do better. I would love to see 
somebody at the working groups be a real community lead, you know, who is that their whole job was collecting feedback and like filtering it to the right people, following up with the people who made the feedback, help telling people how they can do, do, do things better and getting off that, you know, like just a woofoo form for feedback would be kind of nice, you know, wouldn't it? <laughs> like type in something that you're frustrated about and I just have somebody read that. I mean, it may get flooded. Maybe that's not possible, but this, the, the friction of having to join one of those mailing lists and then, and then, and then the the, the the interface for following up on the the talk, of the web development email list talks is such a nasty old school UI. And sure, it might work. I'm sure there's some people that are attached to that. But think of new people, like when somebody who's ju- who wants to get involved in standards today and never has been before goes and they look at that that interface that's like the the archived email threads. Oh, they're not going to be into that. They're not going to be inspired to help out with standards. Yeah, so some of those some of those chat rooms are friendlier than others. Um, you know, like I I went into the HTML5 chat room on IRC and IRC to work- begin with isn't all that user friendly, right? The what working group and like someone, my second sentence in that was, you know, you don't need to be so rude. I'm like, oh, you know, here I am correcting people's behaviors. I've been in this group for two minutes, um, and you know, it didn't give me, it didn't encourage me to go back. Um, but the uh, CSS working group mailing list, um, it's intimidating because there's so many people in that room that know so much. You're afraid that if you ask a question, oh, that's what's covered two and a half years ago. So you really need to do um, – you kind of feel like you really need to do your research. It's, it's intimidating, but it's important. If you're really passionate about something, definitely go into those those chat rooms or those mailing lists. And But, but definitely check the history, um, go through the logs, and make sure that it hasn't been um, – covered ad infinitum before asking, um, you know, a question. But though people in the CSS working group will generally be nice and say, hey, you know, this was covered in, in 2003. Why don't you look at this page? Just don't take it personally. Important you know they should make? Like a template that is like how to make a good suggestion or proposal. And it's like, here's the area of the site where you put a diagram that explains it with, with, so it's, and here's the point where you list a real world scenario that's solved. And here's the point where you propose maybe a syntax that would work, you know, like all the, all the different requirements. Cause I feel like a lot of these emails are just like, we should be able to vertically center or whatever, like that's legit and we can all understand that, but sometimes they're a little more esoteric than that, and the, and the people will like, they'll like jump right to the implementation before they even explain to you why they need it, and it's just, it's that kind of, you know, this is that community education stuff that's, that's got to happen that will make feedback more useful. No, first explain the, you know, a real world scenario that you could use it in, and why you can't do it now, and what you've tried, and what you suggest, and a diagram. I don't know. Now I'm just now I'm just rambling. Now you're just riffing. <laughs> Sir, do we have a riffing Jim? sound effect? Oh, if I had a sweet guitar solo, that'd be awesome. Oh, I need it. Like mealy, mealy, mealy. Pretty it. good. Just riffing. Mealy, mealy. All right. Uh, cool. I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, Estelle, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Thank you're you for having me. Knowledge. Um, real quick, you mentioned books and GitHubs and everything. How, how can people follow you, give you money? Okay, so if you want to, to see my GitHub, it's estelle.github.com. I got my own first name, which is kind of awesome. Um, Twitter, EstelleVW, like Volkswagen. And uh, my blog is Standardista. And the books are going to – the one that's out is HTML5 and CSS3 for the real world. And the ones that are coming out are mobile HTML5, uh, by O'Reilly, and HTML5, the definitive guide by O'Reilly, which will be coming out um, early, probably early next year. Awesome. So, and you can also see her in Hawaii. Ta-da. Yes. At Estelle VW on Twitter. Awesome. Well, cool. Uh, Chris, do you got anything? Uh, no? Everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, thank, rate us on iTunes. Just click the five-star button and follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show. Thank you guys so much. ShopTalkShow.com.